Praise the Lord. Well, Sister McAtee and Daniel came in, so yeah, now we have a full house. Now we have a full house. Amen. Amen. But um, yeah, Jonathan was on the drums. Pretty good, right, Jesse? Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan on the drums. I'm up here. I guess it's amateur night tonight. Amen. Amen. I guess this is round four now. Um, for me being up here, I don't know how many rounds this is going to go. Maybe pastor's going to give me the KO sometime soon. I don't know, but we'll see if he does. That's perfectly fine with that. Amen. But um, yeah, amen. I'm glad everybody's here tonight. Aren't you glad to be here? Amen. In the house of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. No other place I'd rather be than here in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. If we could all stand for the reading of the word. Amen. We're going to go to Acts chapter 26, starting at verse 24. See if uh, my boy over there comes through. Caleb. All right. All right. He gets to eat dinner tonight. All right. Okay. Acts chapter 26, verse 24. And it says this. And this is Paul, uh, Paul speaking to uh, Festus, the governor, and uh, King Agrippa. And it says this. And as he, Paul, thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. You're crazy, Paul. But he said, Paul, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth, King Agrippa, he knows of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. And that's my message tonight is almost. Uh, Pastor, if you wouldn't mind uh, praying tonight. Jesus' name, you may be seated. Amen. I'm sure all of us at some point in time have had something almost happen to us that we were thankful it didn't happen, right? Maybe like a almost getting into a car accident. I think a lot of us have all experienced that, right? Where it almost happened and you're like, thank the Lord that didn't happen, right? While I was putting this message together, I wanted to share with you something that almost happened to me. We were in Branson, uh, Bible quizzing turn, uh, nationals, and a lot of things to do in Branson, okay? And so we went to a timeshare presentation. We've done lots of those over the years, and you get a great deal, a great prize out of it. You just got to endure the 90 minutes, what they say it is, but it's usually longer than that. So, you know, we went to everybody, all of us, the me and Christy and the kids. So we go into this, right? Have the game plan. 
We're just gonna go, we're just gonna sit there, and we're gonna get our prize, and we're gonna leave, okay? Yeah. Well, I don't know what happened this time. I mean, we get in there, and this presenter is doing a great job. She's selling it, and just showing up this family on their, on their vacation, and man, it all looks so good. And I'm like, just getting, in, just enthralled with this, and yeah, they're kind of like, they got the, I almost hook, line, and sinker, man. It was like, I'm sitting there, we're talking numbers, and I'm like, and then finally, I just came to my senses, and I'm like, no, 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 we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. And I'm like, okay, so we ended up leaving, and I'm telling Christy, I'm like, what happened? They almost got me. I almost went through and bought a timeshare when I knew better. I knew because we did it before. And we got rid of it, thank the Lord. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I almost did. And the kids were like, what happened? You guys, you know, why did it take so long? It's like, yeah, it's my fault. They almost had me. Almost. Almost. But tonight we're going to talk about something almost that should have been good. Something that good would have came out of this. All right. So let's go back to these scriptures that we read. And to give better context, um, we really need to go back to Acts chapter 21. What happens with this story goes back to Acts chapter 21. But I'm just going to summarize it for you, okay, rather than going through all these scriptures, okay? So what happens is Paul in Acts chapter 21, he goes, you know, he's been going on his missionary trips and now he goes back to Jerusalem, okay? So when he goes there, he starts speaking the gospel, teaching, and the Jews there, they didn't agree with how Paul was talking about some of the law, the Jewish law, okay? They didn't agree with them. I'm not going to go into that. But they didn't agree with certain aspects of the law that Paul was teaching, okay? And they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. So there was this big riot happening, and then the Roman soldiers, they come, and they're like, what's going on here? Uh, what's all the commotion? And so they question Paul as to what, you know, what's happening. And then the soldiers, they, sent, they end up sending Paul to Caesarea to be heard by Felix, the governor. He was a governor at that time in chapter 23. And then we come to chapter 24, verse 24. And it says this, And after certain days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him. Okay, so he's going to, I want to hear what, what Paul's got to say. He heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he, Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So Paul is sharing his testimony of Christ with Felix, the governor. This is before the scripture we read, you know, he's talking to King Agrippa and Fest. Is it now before this though? He's actually sharing that testimony with Felix, the governor. And the scripture says that he shared the faith in Christ. So I'm sure Paul is sharing the gospel message with the governor Felix. We then read that Felix he trembled. What that what that meant was he trembled in fear. Okay, he's listening to these words of Paul. And the Bible says, and the scripture says that he was, Paul was talking of the judgment, kind of maybe the end time. And this startled Felix, apparently. And, uh, you know, some people get, get startled about that, you know, even, even today. When you tell people about the judgment, about end times, 
They get, they get started, they get fear, their fear comes upon them. And they say, wow, am I going to make it to heaven? They ask, the, they ask themselves these questions, you know, that, that, that comes to their mind. So there's no doubt that the word spoken by Paul stirred Felix. But yet we read in the following verses that Felix, he didn't, he didn't take heed to the words of Paul. In verse 26, it says this, he hoped, he being uh, Felix, he had hoped that money should have been given of Paul that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. So instead of listening to the voice of God, speaking to his heart, because again, something, something call, caused Felix to tremble. Felix instead hoped that Paul would try and bribe him with money to let him go. His deeds were instead filled with corruption. I'm sure Felix was moved by the spirit, but yet he chose to listen to his carnal nature. Okay, so we read about this, right? But, but before all this, in Acts chapter 16, I'm going to show, talk about a little different account here. In Acts chapter 16, again, this is before Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's in jail with Paul and Silas. Okay, and in Acts chapter 16, verse 23, and there's several verses here I'm going to read. But this gives an account of kind of a different reaction from, from this jailer. In Acts 20, 16, 23, it says this, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, right? We've all heard about this. Remember this story here. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. He was about to kill himself because of what happened. Supposing that the prisoners had been fled, he probably realized, man, I'm going to be in big trouble. I might as well just kill myself. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we're all here. We're still here. Don't worry about it. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling. This, this jailer, he was, he's just like Felix. He's trembling. He's like, what's going on here? And fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Totally different reaction here than Felix. He said, sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all is straightway. And when he had brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Unlike Felix, the jailer responded, what do I need to do to be saved? He believed and he recognized that he needed to be saved. Felix, on the other hand, he chose to continue in his worldly ways, right? He, he's like, man, man, Paul, why don't you just give me some money and I'll let you go? Totally, total different reaction. But continuing on here, 
Paul ends up staying in Caesarea for two years. The new governor, Festus, taking over for Felix, he wanted to hear Paul's case. But Paul wanted to take his case to the Caesar at that time, who was Nero. Okay? So shortly after this, before they send Paul off to Rome to be heard by Nero, King Agrippa comes to visit Festus. And Festus is sharing all, that, all the happenings. And, and Paul, there's this guy Paul here. He's been here for two years. And King Agrippa says, okay, I want to hear Paul. I want to hear what this Paul guy has to say. So Paul shares his testimony with Agrippa and Festus too. They're both there. And this is where we get to this passage of scripture that we read here at the beginning. So in verse 26, Paul seemed to know that Agrippa was well aware that was all that was happening in the church. He says, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from you, Akin Agrippa. I am persuaded that you know what's been going on. This thing, it wasn't done in a corner. It wasn't done in the back corner all quietly. No, there was revival happening at that time. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, the same day, the same day that the Holy Ghost was poured out in the upper room, there was also added 3,000 souls. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Every day, souls were being added. Acts, and then moving on to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says that another 5,000 souls were added. Can you imagine that? That's probably like the population of Placerville being added. The whole town, the whole city of Placerville. Their church was going rapidly. It was growing like wildfire. This wasn't done in a back corner in some obscure way. The people saw it and they couldn't deny it. In verse 27, Paul tells Agrippa, I know that thou believest. I know, King Agrippa. Paul could probably sense from Agrippa's body language, maybe from his facial expression, that he could believe. Maybe the, the spirit was discerning to Paul. You ever give your testimony to somebody and you're, you're sharing that? You're sharing, you're sharing Christ with somebody? And you can tell. You can tell if they're like listening, if they're getting it, right? You can tell by their facial expressions, by their body language. You can also tell when somebody doesn't care. They give you a stoic look. They ain't hearing it. You can see that too. But something was going on with Agrippa that caused Paul to say, I know, I know, King Agrippa, that you believe, that you believe. Paul, this is Paul, the event, the, one of the first evangelists out there was Paul. He was going everywhere. He was starting churches. He was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and the Jews wherever he went. And he went a lot of places. Jesus had done something special in Paul's life. And there was a passion. And we read it when we read his epistles. I, I feel that passion within Paul. So no doubt as he's sharing this testimony with Agrippa, with Festus, and whoever else was in there, that, that the Holy Spirit was moving. It was moving. Amen. Amen. And after all this, though, after all that, after Paul 
exhorting himself to them, King Agrippa says, almost, almost, Paul. Man, I hear what you're saying, Paul, and it sounds good. Yeah, and I know what's going on. I've been seeing it. This thing hasn't been done in a corner. I know. I've been hearing stories about this Jesus, about this Christianity that's been spreading. I know, I know. But despite all that, he says, almost, almost, Paul, almost. You almost had me, Paul. And just like Felix, he didn't follow through. Unlike the jailer, he did, right? The jailer did. He said, what do I got to do to be saved? And he was baptized. That jailer was saved. I'm sure it doesn't say receive the Holy Ghost, but I'm sure that happened. Maybe power was too much for Felix and Agrippa. Maybe that power of being the king, power of being the governor, maybe it was just, it was too much for them to give up. And sometimes we see that, right? Sometimes people have, they think they have it all, but they're missing the most important thing, the Lord Jesus. Amen. It's going to move on to another account here. Um, if we go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. And it says this. Then Judas, Judas Iscariot, which had betrayed him, Jesus, and when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And then continuing on this account of Judas, going to Acts chapter 1, verse 16. This is Peter and the apostles in the upper room and others, the other 120 And Peter, standing up, says this, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. Very graphic. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem in so much as that field is called in their proper, in their proper tongue, Akeldama, that is to say the field of blood. Many of us are familiar with this story of Judas Iscariot, right? We, we recognize him as the apostle that betrayed Jesus. For 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed our Lord and Savior. In these passages of Matthew and Acts, we read that Judas realized the error of his way, right? He did that. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But then at some point, he said, what have I done? What have I done? And he went back to those chief priests. He went back to them and wanted to give it back and say, I don't want, can we erase this? And they said, what do we have to do with, no, it's done. We don't want anything to do with that. You know, and he threw away, he threw away that money and he hanged himself. And then we read in Acts chapter one, 
as they were in the process of picking someone to replace Judas, we read that graphic description of what happened to Judas. Very, very graphic there of what happened. So much so that even, they even called that name. They gave it a name of where he died. They called it Akeldama, the field of blood. But Judas was chosen by Jesus. He was one of the original 12. For three years, about three years, he walked, he ate, he slept where Jesus did. Jesus shared intimate details about the kingdom of God with his 12. He shared what the gospel message was with them. He instructed them. No doubt, Judas saw the numerous miracles that Jesus performed. And he witnessed so many things, so much so that John wrote in John chapter 21, verse 25, he wrote, and there were also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that should be written. Think about that. We only get a small sample, just a microcosm of what Jesus did. John said, if we were to write everything, the books in this, there's not enough books in this world that could write what Jesus did. And Judas was there and he saw it all. He was that close to Jesus. But something happened along the way. Something caused Judas to sway his thinking. Somewhere along the way, the miracles he saw didn't have the same impact. Somewhere along the line, Jesus' teachings didn't sink in like it used to. Maybe Judas began to question Jesus. I don't quite agree with what he's saying now. Maybe in his mind, he started doubting what Jesus was saying. Whatever the case, Judas sold out our Lord for a small pittance of 30 pieces of silver. And it's interesting to note that in Exodus, it was established that the price of a slave was 30 shekels of silver. And Jesus was sold for that amount. He was sold for the amount of a slave. Philippians 2, 7 says that Jesus took upon him the form of a servant. He was a servant, a slave, and he was sold for that much. In the end, Judas realized the error of his way. The Bible says he repented, which was the right thing to do. He was on that right path. He did something bad, but yet he's, he recognized his error and he repented. And if he just continued along that same vein, if he had gone back to the apostles and said, I'm sorry for what I did and repented and continue to live his life for God, that would have been, I think that would have been okay. But he didn't. He didn't. Maybe there's voices that came to his head that said, it's too late, Judas. There's no going back. No one's going to forgive you for what you did. Your sin's too great, Judas. Perhaps that's what Satan was telling Judas. And it was a tragic end to the life of Judas. We read in, in Paul's epistles of his greetings to his fellow brethren. He did this all the time, right? If we read Paul, he's like, salute this, say hi to this. Say hi to Pastor Thorson, say hi to, you know, wherever he was going, right? That's what Paul would do. That was a frequent occurrence. 
No doubt that Paul had a special bond with these people that he met, these men and women that he went on his, on his journeys. And one such person that we read about is Demas. But we only read about Demas three times. His name's only mentioned three times in the Bible. Two of them were salutations by Paul. So not a whole lot is said about Demas, but we're going we're gonna to look at this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, in Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, he says this. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, they greet you. He, so he's sending greetings to the church at Colossae from Demas and Luke in this, in this passage. And then in the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. And there salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, and Demas. Here he is again. Demas. And Lucas, which is Luke, my fellow laborers. Calling him a fellow laborer. That's who Demas was. He was working with Paul based on this account. He was probably a key member of the church. And it sounds like Demas knew the church at Colossae and that he also knew the household of Philemon. And based on most historical accounts, both Philemon and Colossians are written about the same time, maybe a year or two apart, when Paul is, is sending these greetings out on behalf of Demas. However, about four years later, Paul writes his second epistle to Timothy. In Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read something different about Demas. It says this, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Talk, this is Paul talking to, writing this letter to Timothy. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Here Paul says that Demas had forsaken him. He loved the present world. He's sharing this in his writing to Timothy. He says to Timothy, come and, come and meet up with me as soon as you can. As soon as you can, Timothy. Maybe Paul was concerned that what happened to Demas might happen to Timothy. But nonetheless, Demas walked away from the faith. Just as Judas was a follower of Jesus and forsook Jesus and betrayed him, Demas forsook his mentor, Paul. Demas desired the world more than the things of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the way, Demas started loving the world more than loving the Father. The writer of Hebrews, in speaking of Moses, this is the in chapter 11, the chapter of faith, the heroes of faith, he says this about Moses. Choosing, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Demas perhaps didn't want to suffer the afflictions that he saw Paul enduring. And we all know that Paul endured much affliction. Demas, being his fellow laborer, no doubt he saw this. Maybe thoughts came into his mind. Is that worth it? I see Paul going through all this, all these afflictions. Is it worth all the suffering? Is it worth it? Apparently, the world seemed more enticing to Demas. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh began to sway Demas. And he turned away. He turned away from the ministry that he was a part of. Almost, almost. These men I spoke of, they were right there. Demas was a fellow laborer. He walked with Paul. He, he heard Paul's teachings. He saw people getting saved. He saw the revival that was happening. Doesn't say it, but I'm sure he was filled with the Holy Ghost and was baptized. I'm sure he, all of that. He was one of the original Christians. Judas, he walked with Christ. He was called by Christ. He was picked out by him. And he was taught by the Lord himself. No doubt he even touched the Lord. And King Agrippa, the mighty King Agrippa, was moved by the testimony of Paul. But they all fell short, almost, almost. And I was almost and almost. And you've heard my testimony, church. I've shared that with you before. Growing up as a young boy, now, Joshua, you're not here. I hope you're watching this. You were in my notes. I was hoping you'd be right there so I could compare my, you know. I was about your age, Joshua, when I started going to Pentecostal church. I remember in the mornings, we would go to Catholic church. We, were, we grew up Catholic. We would go to the Catholic church in the morning, and then at night, we'd go to the Pentecostal lighthouse. How was that? Yeah. But I remember here, I heard the preaching, saying the praises to God. I was baptized in the name of Jesus. I received the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I went to Sunday school, went to youth service, attended church faithfully with my family. But like Demas, like Demas, the world drew me away. I started listening to my friends in school. I allowed seeds to be planted in my heart, seeds that weren't good, the wrong kind of seed. My mind began to wonder what the world was like. What am, I, what am I missing out on? When I went to college, I was not ready spiritually. I was not ready for what was going to come. And I fell into sin for a long time, for five years. And I was deep into sin. But my flesh, yeah, I took pleasure in that sin. But by God's grace and mercy, I'm here tonight. I'm not there. The journey still continues. But I'm here tonight, praise God. I could have been an almost. I could have been an almost. I would that everyone in the church and everyone watching this message continue in the faith. I have children that have been raised all their lives in this truth. I have nieces and nephews, all of them have been raised 
all their lives in this truth. And now, church family here in Placerville, you're my family. It's Sharans, you're my family. Amen. Sister Holly, Caitlin, you're my family. The McAtees, all of you, all of you, you're my family. The church in Visalia, still my family. Other, other church members that we've met through quizzing, through other events, they're my family. My fellow laborers, fellow servants in the Lord. But the truth is, I've seen others in this faith depart from this truth, and it hurts me. I've seen ministers in this faith depart, and now they're preaching a different gospel. They're preaching a different message. Church, we got to stay the course. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We must press toward the mark, church. No matter what our friends, our family, our coworkers say, no matter what they, if they mock us, if they question, why do you do what you do? Why do you, why, why? And that's happened to me in school. I grew up, I mean, people were mocking me in school when I was going to school. But no matter what they tell us, we got to be bold and say, hey, I'm a Christian and I live for Jesus. Amen. How many of us like prizes? I think we all do, right? Well, there's that greater prize that we're trying to attain, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 24 says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, wherefore seeing also we are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, we're in a race, and we must endure to the finish. There may be some hurdles, that we might have to leap over. There may be some slippery surfaces that we got to try and detract, that are going to try and detract us. It may seem that sometimes that road, that race that we're on, it gets steep and it wears us down. But we must run this race and strive to obtain that prize. We've heard the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? We've heard that story before. We know that the hare started out fast, right? Some of those uh, cartoons, I remember he's like taking a nap. He's like, man, I got plenty of time. I'm cool. He's like relaxing. And there's that tortoise, just steady pace, right? His steady little pace. And we all know who won the race, the tortoise, right? And I've seen people that come to church, they're like on fire. They're just doing all this. And then I seen them flame out too. But we got to be steady. We got to be faithful. Amen. We got to be patient and endure. Amen. Hallelujah. We got to understand that there will be trials and tribulations, but we've got to lay aside the weights and the sin 
that so easily beset us. First Peter chapter five, verse seven says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Cast all your care, all these weights, all these things, cast it on him. He'll take care of it. He cares for us. We can cast our burdens and we can cast our cares on Jesus. Amen. But if we, if we allow these things to bring us down, they will. They can and they will. We can't turn away like Demas and Judas. We can't give up. We can come to church and hear the preaching of the word. We can come and worship and sing the praises to the Lord. We can go along in our daily lives and live the life of a Christian. But if we lose our focus, if we start to look at other things, if we start to look at the world instead of looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we may not finish the race. Our epitaph might say, almost, almost. I don't want that. I don't want that for anyone. Anyone, hallelujah. But I'm not going to end on a downer. Amen. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven. It says this. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And that word course is just another word for race. Some versions actually say race. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Amen. We got to finish this race, church. We got to fight the good fight of faith. And there's a crown of righteousness. It's waiting for us. That There's a prize. There's a prize there. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Oh, I guess Christy's going to sing a song. And um, I know it's not the norm, but if anyone wants to come up to this altar, it's open. It's up to you. Amen.
Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. God, you're worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Bloss. Have you guys ever wondered why you're in church? Like, I've wondered that sometimes. How, like, if I had not been in church, what kind of person I would be? And I'm just, Sister McT, you're shaking your head. I wouldn't be a good person. <laughs> I just feel I was telling Brother Smith a, a number of years ago, I said, Brother Smith, I said, I really feel fortunate to, for God to have directed my path to where I'm at and to see the things that I've seen. And um, I don't know what I would be like, you know, um, without the Lord Jesus. And there's so many people out there who knows, maybe... Maybe they've been just so close, like Brother Bloss was talking about, you know, just so close. And they just made that slight turn. They deviated. And I've seen some people that it looked like they were doing so good. And then they just made that slight little turn. And they ended up, some of them, some of their lives, I was... I was talking to Brother Riddlesberger today. We had lunch together, and he was telling me that his uncle was a pastor there, UPC Church in Galt, California, and his wife died. Uh, Brother Riddlesberger's uncle's wife, so his aunt. And he started working at the funeral home, and he did. He embalmed his own wife and did the whole thing for, you know, his wife. And something clicked. Something just wasn't the same after that. And he ended up um, backsliding, you know. Or actually, her sister came along and to comfort whatever, and then he ended up in a relationship with her, and he ended up getting his license taken away. And... Uh, he said he ended up being like the town drunk, you know, on the streets, homeless, and eventually he took his own life. And, uh, but throughout the different ministers, Brother Tate and the different pastors who were there in Galt, they would come and they would talk to him and he would, he knew the scriptures and he would argue doctrine. But I mean, being that close, I mean, I can't even imagine being that close and, you know, not being saved. And that's part of the greatest torment of uh, the lake of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth, to realize how hard that 
that person would have had to have fought to not be saved. And I'm so thankful that he gives us opportunities. And um, I want to respond to those opportunities. I want to, you know, every time he gives me an opportunity, I want to respond. And he is calling. And that call goes out. And it's every day. I think many, multiple individuals in multiple ways, people have been called and been given chances. And I think there's a lot of people that are going to say, man, I was almost, almost. And so I just want to encourage you when it comes to the things of God, you know, I, I hope that we all can look back and not have regrets and say, you know what? I was persuaded and I did decide that I wanted to live right. I did decide that I wanted to do the right thing and live for God. Amen. It's been the right decision for me um, because I was an angry little fellow and I don't know, I think I would have grown up to be just a, not uh, just a very good person. <laughs> And so, um, <clears throat> amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message. I pray, God, that each and every one of us to take this into our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that we'd be encouraged today. God, I pray that we'd be challenged today, Lord, to not just be almost persuaded but to be persuaded, to be fully persuaded. And God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to see the blessing and the wonderful uh, goodness and mercy, God, that you have for each and every one of us, Lord. I pray that you'd have your way in our lives. I pray that you'd help us to have a great rest of this week. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good to see everybody. Uh, you're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen.